right, it's so good to see everybody tonight. Um, I have a very big podium today. Oh my goodness. Okay, I walk around a lot, so I'm going to need to. Um, <clears throat> man, the presence of God was here during our worship time, and I really, I just felt like as I was preparing for this message, um, my heart was just burning um, with the heart of God for this campus and for each of you. And just for even the word that I want to preach tonight, it's so simple, you know, like sometimes I get a passage, sometimes I get, you know, a little couple points or whatever, or an idea, but um, this time it was just one word, one word, and God just wanted us to just rest in that one word, and that word is covenant. Can everybody say covenant? And I I just feel like, I'm not sure how tonight's going to go, but... um, we're just going to camp out with the word covenant, okay? And so um, the re- when I first started this, started thinking about this word, it was because um, my, I had a Skype conversation with my roommate from college. I was in college once, not too long ago, okay? And um, I, I had gotten saved here in Korea my sophomore year. So it means my freshman year, I was at parties, I was at clubs, and my roommate was a girl named Marie. She doesn't mind me sharing this, and um, she's from Japan. She's from Nagoya, and um, we had so much fun partying together, and um, we like called ourselves the Asian sisters, and we were really cute. I really loved her to death. We had so much fun together, uh, but yeah, I came to Korea in 2008 spring, and I had attended Yonsei University for one semester language program. And during that time, I radically encountered God. And, and God's love just reached down and took hold of my heart and changed me forever. And, and many of you guys know my full testimony, but man, I was never the same after I encountered the love of God in that way, in that raw form. And I was set on fire for God. And everything about who I was had changed because I met this love, okay? The way that people get saved is very different. Sometimes it's a long process. Sometimes it's, you know, more you get these concepts in your mind, you make a decision. And sometimes it's just this supernatural work and you don't even understand it, but you understand in your heart first. And that's what it was like for me. No matter what your salvation story was like, or even if you don't know Jesus yet, God still wants you to encounter his love supernaturally, his presence in that way. And it's nothing that you can earn or deserve or work for. It's just something he wants to give each of us. And he wants to give it to us over and over again. Okay? Our relationship with God is experiential, not just intellectual and conceptual. All right? And so I was here for six months. I got saved. I just, like, fell in love with Jesus. I went back home, and, and we had planned to live together again. And so my junior senior year, I lived with the same girl I lived with before I got saved. And the semester I got back, she and I got into so many fights because, you know, Rona, you're not any fun anymore. Why don't you go to this party with me? Why don't you go to this club with me? Rona, I just had a couple drinks. It's okay if you ride in the car with me. You know, like all these things. And, and it's not like I was like preaching at her, like, don't do this. It's bad, you know. I never said that to her, but I just told her my testimony. I told her my story of encountering God's love. Like, hey, I was dead and numb and dry and hopeless, and God loved me, and I came to life, and for the first time I can breathe, and for the first time I can feel love, and and I lived 20 years dead, and now I'm alive, and I can breathe again, 
And I can live without alcohol, and I can live without guys, but I can't live without this God. He's the one thing I'm certain I can't live without. And so giving up all this stuff, it may seem like a big sacrifice to you, but it's nothing when I think about the fact that I have God. I didn't have him before, and I know what it's like to not have this Lord in my life. And so we were very different people at that point. And I remember for the first, like, couple months, she was just so mad at me all the time. And, and then because I was so full of the love of God, I would just, like, look at her and be like, no matter what you do or say, I'm always going to love you. You know? And I was just so, you know, she, it would just make her more mad. And she would storm out of the house. And um, anyway, eventually, like, some things happened. She, she's really smart, really go-getter, really achievement driven and and she went to this business conference and some really bad crap happened like she was supposed to get some job offer she's one year over me and older than me in college and then nothing panned out like every single thing that she was certain she had put her trust and her certainty in like her resume her her drive her goal-orientedness her intelligence her family every single thing because she she's a really smart girl and she had her crap together okay um if anyone was going to be successful it's this girl And every single thing she was certain about fell through. And I remember she came to me and she said, she didn't, wait, no, she came back from this conference and I could tell, like, it did not go well. But I just knew, like, I should not talk to her about it right now because she looked like, you know, she looked like the epitome of despair. And so I just, like, left her in her top bunk and, and clouds of darkness were all around her. And then one day she just sat on the floor and she's like, you want to come here? And so I was like, okay, so I sat on the floor with her, and then she said, uh, I think, I, think I, I need to know this Jesus that you're talking about. And um, she started sharing with me about how she's always had to be so strong and always had to have it all together and always had to do this. And she just thought that all these Christians were so weak, like they can't take care of themselves. They can't figure stuff out, so they have to use Jesus as a crutch because they're weak. And she just said, I just had too much pride in what I could accomplish to ever come to him and say I need him. But I know who you were before, and I know who you are now, and I know that Jesus must be real. And I need to know this Jesus. And so that's the first person I ever led to Christ in college. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I just tried my best, okay? And then um, after that, I tried to, like, disciple her, my Japanese roommate who's a year older than me. It was just, it was really funny um because I was a newly saved person too so I, I was figuring stuff out as I was going but um but all I did not mean to share her testimony but what the point is is that she she's in love with the Lord and uh she she graduated and we've been keeping in touch and basically she's dating she'd been dating this guy and we recently skyped and she said Rona like I'm gonna get married and I want you to be a bridesmaid in my wedding you know, and I'm like, yay, that's awesome. I, I hope I can come. Like, it's in California. I don't know if the dates are going to work out. Plane tickets are expensive, but we'll see. Praying for it. But then the next time I talk to her, she's like, um, actually, Rona, not just bridesmaid, but I'm just, I know you do ministry there. Can you officiate my wedding? <laughs> and I, I was like, excuse me? <laughs> what? <laughs> You want me to officiate your wedding? Can you imagine? <laughs> like, I don't even... What? And so, I like, if you guys know me, you know that I never...
never thought I would be like a pastor or a minister. So that whole picture just makes me laugh so much. And I was like, I don't think that's legal or recommended if it is legal. But no, I mean, I don't know what the requirements are. Like if you need to be a seminary grad or ordained or whatever. Um, I don't think I meet the requirements. I just started seminary like part time this semester. So I don't know. She's like, if you can, like I want you to officiate it. So I was like, dang. I asked my pastor just in case, you know, and he's like, yeah, yeah, officiate it. Like, because you're not ordained, though, they have to just go to the courthouse and get the, the documents. But you can officiate it, though. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what? So I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. I don't know if I, I want to do that. But, but the thought crossed my mind, and then I started thinking about, like, what do you do when you officiate a wedding? And so um, all I, I was, like, running through the wedding ceremonies I had been to before, and I think all of us know the line, I wrote it down, the lines. So, you know, whenever the, the pastor says some type of sermon, hopefully short, because I thought about being in that dress in front of everybody, you know what I mean? And then there's like the ceremony and then the reception, and then you, you know you want to go to the honeymoon. Like, everything is like, <laughs> you, you, you want to get the day over, kind of, but enjoy it. And then if the pastor just preaches too long, it's just mean and uncomfortable, and um, anyway, so hopefully it's, like, lovely and beautiful message. But anyway, so when he preaches a sermon, he or she preaches a sermon, then they'll go on to say the wedding vows, okay? So brides and grooms can write their own wedding vows, but then this is, like, what everybody says, no matter what. And then you guys probably have heard this before, but there's two different versions. There's one from England and one from the U.S. It's more common. And it says, I, you know, name, take you, name, to be my husband, wife, I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. The U.S. version, though, okay, in America, it's most commonly said as, I, name, take you, name, to be my lawfully wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part, okay? So basically the pastor says that, and then the bride and groom repeat it, and it's so lovely. And then at the end of all that, then the pastor will say something like, um, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate, okay? And that's from Matthew 19.6. And <clears throat> so just me playing around with the idea of officiating her wedding, I was kind of just going through these lines, and, and as I read these, I never thought about these sentences before un unless I'm at a wedding and if you s have ever seen me at a wedding like even if I'm not even close to the people like a distant cousins whatever and these lines are read like I just start crying and I never thought about these lines outside of that moment but even as I read that I was just like what is that you know what is that that I just read that whole for better or for worse for richer or for poorer, till death do us part. What is that? What God has joined together, let no one separate. And the more I behold God, and the longer I walk with him, the more I have become awakened to the kind of love that he loves us with. And the crazy thing is, the more we behold the love that is portrayed in popular culture, the love that is portrayed in a lot of our relationships, in our own families, in our dating relationships, whatever, um, the more sometimes our concept, our idea, our experience of love can become very twisted. 
And what we perceive to be real love is very different than the love that God loves us with and the love that he commits to always love us with. And one thing that stood out to me was that real love, real love must be contained within the boundaries of intimacy. Within the bo- real intimacy must be contained within the boundaries of covenant. And so we go back to that word that I started with, covenant, covenant. All relationships on earth, guys, I think um, I say this every single time I disciple anybody. Like, if I've ever discipled you one-on-one, I always say this. So sorry for you guys who've known me for a long time. But basically, every relationship on earth is like a microcosm of our relationship with God. (laughs) Bora's laughing because this line is like my favorite, okay? So if you think about every single relationship on earth, like like a mother and and a child, a parent and a child, right? That type of covenantal love, that type of unconditional love a father shows to a child, a mother shows to a child, man, it belongs within the covenant of family, right? What if some strange man just started picking up a little child and loving them, right? That's just weird. You can't do that, right? Because intimacy, that kind of love, belongs within the covenant of family. Otherwise, it's just creepy. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah? Okay. Covenant. Covenant. It's where intimacy, where real love, where this kind of love flourishes. Um, When you think about a friend to friend, in the Bible it talks about David and Jonathan being besties, and they're like covenant buds, okay? Not, okay, first of all, let me just say this. You don't need to have a David-Jonathan kind of bestie, okay? That's not necessary for your life and contentment on earth, like really. But in the Bible there's a story of these two men, and they're like, besties they die for each other they're like in it for the long run right and because of that no matter what happens trials opposition um Saul trying to kill David David getting the position on the throne that Jonathan deserved no matter what came man they were still for each other they were in it thick and thin that kind of intimacy belongs in covenant in our friendships guys you can't just go with the flow sometimes because you end up spending all your time with people that you don't know what's going to happen when, when trials hit, right? Man, I've had friends that they seem like they're all for me, but when things hit the fan, oh, my gosh. Like, they're, they're out of there. I don't even know. They, they're, their phone number is different, you know. They don't ever, who are you? Like, I, they don't even know you anymore. But then there's friends that when opposition and trial comes, they draw closer, Man, my, my friend Tina, like, in t- the times that things got worse, you know what she always does? She just knocks on my door with, like, food. <laughs> so many times she's come with, like, really good cheesecake and, like, sandwiches. and She always just feeds me as I cry. And, and like, fr- like, really, guys, this kind of long-lasting friendship you've got to be intentional with. Everyone can enjoy you when things are good. And when you're laughing and partying it up and everything's fair weather, but when storms hit, you'll see who your real friends are. And, and no matter what, I, I really encourage you guys to invest in those relationships. Those are the ones that are going to count. That's not my sermon, okay? But the point is covenant births intimacy. And lastly, the, one, the kind of relational paradigm I want to hone in on tonight is the marriage image, the marriage covenant. Because 
of all the relationships, I think this one touches on an aspect of God's heart so clearly and beautifully that we can kind of, we can kind of get a picture of what a marriage looks like on earth, and then we can kind of get a picture of how this relates in our relationship to God and us, okay? I don't know if that just made sense, but you know what I mean. So in a, in a husband and wife, in a wedding ceremony, in a marriage, all those lines that we talked about, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, till death do us part. You know, sadly, um, divorce rates are so high that that doesn't mean as much as it used to, but that used to mean something very weighty. And, and whenever people go in that and they're like, no, I mean these words, that's a serious covenant, right? But within the covenant of marriage, man, you get to access this love, this safety, this um, aspect of, of intimacy that you can't get anywhere else. And the Lord uses all of these earthly relationships, parent and child, friend to friend, husband and wife, to give us glimpses of his heart for us. He is our father, right? He is our friend. He is our comforter. And he is the, the, the groom, the husband. We are the bride. The community of believers are the bride of Christ, right? So all of these things kind of show us what the love of God looks like in its various forms. You guys following me? So what happens when some of these earthly relationships get twisted or distorted, right? If God has placed us in these relationships so that we can get a picture of his perfect love and heart, but because of sin, these relationships didn't go as planned, all right? If he wants to show us his perfect father's love, his protection, the safety we have in our father God, but we have an abusive dad or an absent father or a controlling father, then the way that we kind of relate to father God is a little bit twisted our heart begins to get confused. Uh, I know what the word father looks like. I have a father, and he's like this, so that means God must be like that, so that means I can't really trust him. That means I can't really open my heart to him, right? It begins to twist that relationship with God a little bit, and we begin to believe things about God that probably aren't true. We begin to paint our earthly father onto heavenly father, but that doesn't, that's just one example. Friend, okay? Friends who you, you think, man, they're for you. You share all your, your stuff with. They know everything about you, okay? In time of need, they bounce. They betray you, okay? Wow, Jesus is my friend? Mm. Jesus, I don't know if I want to be that tight with you. I know what friends are like. I know that friends don't really stick with you through thick and thin. Jesus, I don't know if I can trust you to be my friend. I don't know if I can really trust that I can be that intimate with you, that you really are beside me, that you're really for me, Jesus. I know what friends are like. We begin to paint our picture of friendship onto Jesus, our friend, right? And husband and wife, shoot. This image of God Coming incarnate in Christ, laying down his life for his bride, okay? Sacrificing his life for his bride, and the bride saying, I trust you, I submit to you. 
That is a picture of believers to the church and to God. But why do we see people unable to commit to church? Why do we see people unable to commit to community of believers? Why do we see people unable to commit to brothers and sisters in Christ? Why do we see people unable to commit to God? This groom who lays down his life for his bride, only then can the bride submit and trust the groom. Jesus, whatever you say, I trust you, right? It it means laying down our life. But when we look at marriage now, it's all about selfishness. How does this person make me feel? I'm not feeling it anymore. Never mind. Okay? Divorce is so high. Divorce rates are so high in the church and outside of the church. And people's perception and belief in marriage isn't really there anymore. We see broken marriages, divorces, our own parents' marriage, and we're like, I definitely don't want a marriage like that, right? This covenant that's meant to show us the heart of God in a beautiful and unexplained, like Paul said, this has to do with, with Christ and the church, but also with husband and wife, and the words don't even fit this paradigm well because this love is so real, okay? That kind of love that's meant to show us the love of God, it's so distorted now. And so what happens is that young people, especially this generation, our generation, I'm putting myself in the same generation as you, okay, I'm still young, is, is that we shy away from commitment. We shy away from covenant. We shy away from promise making. We shy away from this kind of vulnerability. And, and it's like, honestly, guys, it's, it's, it's like these serious relationships, like friendship, marriage, and family. But also, if you just think about even the way I live, someone wants to hang out with me, well, I don't know if I can commit to that day. Let me check my schedule, get back to you. Let me, it's hard for me to commit to anything. Like for some reason, I just can't commit to anything. And I'm like, man, but that's weird because I feel like I'm a pretty loyal, committed person, right? That's one of my strengths. But I already have that, that kind of repulsion to committing myself to be at a certain place at a certain time, to do certain things that I've committed myself to do. Why? Why can we not commit to things? Why can we not covenant? You know, college ministry, guys, everybody who does college ministry says college students are flaky. Can I just be real with you? Everybody says college students are flaky. They don't come to stuff. They don't come out consistently. It's just how it's always going to be. College students have always been like that. They're always going to be like that. They're just flaky. Okay, you can't get them to come out regularly. Why is that? And as I was asking myself that question, man, why, why, why don't we see consistent attendance at Emmaus? I wonder. Just, just asking that question. And I didn't find the solution in thinking, oh, I just got to yell at them to come out more. Okay? What I really began to, my heart just started breaking was God was just saying, they have no idea about my committed love to them. And you can't commit and you can't covenant when you don't know that you have been committed to and and that God has made a covenant with you. You can only do what you have experienced God doing for you. And and I just felt like God's heart was breaking that, that we don't know even a fraction of how he's covenanted himself and committed to us. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um... <laughs> Because one thing that I really felt was that when we avoid commitment, when we avoid commitment 
when we avoid covenanting ourselves, we think that we're doing it so that we don't miss out. We think we're doing it so that we don't make mistakes. But what actually happens is that when we refuse to covenant and commit ourselves, that's what actually is going to cause us to miss out. Because if the greatest love and the greatest blessings and the greatest intimacy can only be found in these covenant relationships, God is saying that these things belong in covenant. And if you avoid commitment and covenant, you avoid the best things I have for you. Do you see how the enemy is trying to twist what God wants so desperately to give us? Man. I did a word study for tonight. I went through some of the words that they use in wedding ceremonies and um, also with covenant. And so I'm going to start with the first word study. It's vow. Everybody say vow. Vow. A vow is a solemn promise, a pledge, or a personal commitment. Okay? I looked at pledge. A pledge is a thing that is given as security for the fulfillment of a contract or the payment of a debt and is liable to forfeiture if the event in the event of failure. What does that mean? A pledge is basically like, okay, I pledge this, but if this doesn't get delivered, then this is also going to go back. You know what I mean? Basically, a pledge... Okay, let me just read it. <laughs> a thing that is given as security for the fulfillment of a contract. So a contract is made, it needs to be fulfilled, and security is the pledge. Okay? If the contract is not fulfilled, then it can be, then the, the benefits of that pledge are going to be forfeited. You guys following me? Okay. Forfeiture is the loss or giving up of something as a penalty for wrongdoing. Forfeit. Okay. When you make a pledge and one side, one side does not go through, you forfeit the benefits of that pledge. Okay. One side, both sides have to follow through. If one side doesn't, both sides lose following commitment is a promise to do or give something a promise to be loyal to someone or something okay a promise is a statement telling someone that you will definitely do something or that something will definitely happen in the future okay and all those are secular words that are used to describe covenant And covenant is a formal and serious agreement or promise between two or more parties affecting both sides. How many parties, guys? Two or more parties, okay? That is the secular definition. But as we go into the way that the Bible, the Word of God, uses covenant, which, by the way, it's all over here in the Old and New Testament, okay? The Word of God says that the the term covenant is of Latin origin, meaning a coming together. It presupposes two or more parties who come together to make a contract, agreeing on promises, stipulations, privileges, and responsibilities. In religious and theological circles, there has not been agreement on precisely what is to be understood on the biblical term. It is used variously in biblical contexts, in political situations. It can be translated treaty. In a social setting, it means a lifelong friendship agreement, or it can refer to marriage. The biblical words most often translated covenant are berit in the Old Testament, appearing 280 times. Okay? God uses covenant in the Old Testament 280 times when he talks about his people. And 33 times in the New Testament. The origin of the Old Testament word has been debated. Okay, I'm going to skip that part. It is a covenant refers to two or more parties bound together. Everyone say bound. bound. 
The covenants referred to above were between two equal parties. Everyone say two equal parties. This means that the covenant relationship was bilateral. Everyone say bilateral. These are hard words. The bond was sealed by both parties, vowing, often by oath, that each, having equal privileges and responsibilities, would carry out their assigned roles. That means a covenant is a binding together of two parties. Both parties have responsibilities, and both parties will benefit from this covenant. They both have to fulfill their responsibilities so that they will both benefit. Two equal parties. They have to be equal. Okay? Because a covenant confirmed between two human parties was bilateral, some scholars have concluded that the covenant Yahweh, God, establishes with human beings is also bilateral. But this is not the case. God initiated, determined the elements, and confirmed his covenant with humanity. It is unilateral. Everyone say unilateral. People are recipients and not contributors. They are not expected to offer elements to the bond. They are called to accept it as offered, to keep it as demanded, and to receive the results that God, by oath, assures will not be withheld. Okay? Covenant means you can only make a covenant, this agreement, when there are two equal parties. Why do they have to be equal? Because if one party is greater than, then the other party will not be able to give the benefits to equalize that, that transaction, right? Equal parties, equal responsibilities, equal benefits on both sides. That is covenant. That has to happen. But the way God uses covenant cannot mean that. Why? Because there is no equal party here. So if a God who is perfect love and all-powerful has said, I have to bind myself and commit myself to humanity... But humanity is far lesser than, not equal to, in perfection, in holiness, in love, in any way compared to God. How can we covenant with God? It doesn't work, right? So this covenant with God, it's a whole other type of covenant. It has nothing to do with I give this much, I fulfill this, so I get this. You fulfill this much, you do this, so you get this. It's not like that with God. In essence, guys, God did not covenant with us. God covenanted with himself regarding us. Okay? Because if he covenants with us, what happens is, if we don't do our assigned responsibilities and roles and duties, then the promises and the love he wants to give to us cancels out. You guys remember? Forfeiture. You make a pledge, security, that both sides are going to do it. If they don't, the blessings, the benefits of the pledge are forfeited. How can God continually give us his presence and love? How can he be our friend, our counselor, our healer? How can he be with us to the very end? How can he say all that stuff to us? How can he follow through on his promises? Because he didn't make a covenant with us. He made a covenant with himself regarding us. He said, you have no capacity within you to actually fulfill the responsibilities that you need to, to fulfill your part of the covenant. Even if you have the best intentions, you won't do it. You can't. 
Humanity, guys, we have sin in us and we can't fulfill our part of the covenant. God, knowing that, he made a covenant with himself. He says, I promise by myself, by my own character, that I will be faithful to people. That I will be faithful to my sons and daughters. So now, so now the love of God, the presence of God, the friendship of God, the, the, the type of love we see in marriages, right? That example, that love of God is not hindered anymore by how we feel, by what we do, by how good we are as Christians that week or not, because it's not a covenant made directly with us. It's on his name, on his character. Therefore, it doesn't change. That covenantal love doesn't change for us each day. Numbers 23:19 says, "God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind." Shoot. Man, we are people who change our minds a lot, huh? What do we eat? What do we wear? What do we commit to? Who our closest friends are? what we're going to do in terms of job, we have a really hard time not changing our minds. But God does not change his mind, and he does not lie. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Okay, where's every good and perfect gift from, guys? So is it from man? Is it controlled by man? No, not at all. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He's the Father of heavenly lights that does not change like shifting shadows. What the heck does that mean? That's so poetic, right? But just think about the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun. And when you stand, here we have, you can look in the, the large group floor, right? The light, if it's stationary, the shadow does not change. But the sun moves throughout the day. And wherever the sun is, your shadow is going to move, right? Shadows move. But it says that God is the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He's not here one moment, then over here another moment, and then everything uh, is fleeting and shifts and changes based on that. He's not like that. And even if our emotions are up and down, our thoughts are up and down, man, I I feel really faithful and in love with God right now. Another moment, man, I feel like I suck. I have no desire for God right now. Is our relationship with God and our covenant with him, is it fleeting based on how we feel and what we think about it? Not at all. Can I just say that not at all? Even if you have received Jesus into your heart, Even if you feel one day like you're not even saved anymore, you feel like the biggest jerk in the world, your place in the kingdom of God has not changed. It cannot change because it's not a covenant made with you based on your actions or how you feel. It's a covenant God made and he swore on himself. Okay? And he does not change, and he is not like shifting shadows, and he does not lie. He doesn't change his mind like we do. And when we base our faith and our perception of God based on what our friends have done, what our parents have done, what our boyfriends or girlfriends have done, we distort this love that God really has given us, the covenant love that he has given to us. And when we 
when we paint our own emotions and our own performance onto the covenant love of God, it also distorts it. It is so different than what we can imagine, this covenant love of God. And it shatters the picture of love that Hollywood portrays. Oh, the, the, the butterflies in your stomach, and I can't stop thinking about them, and murmur, 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 murmur. You know what, guys? Infatuation and lust have nothing to do with the covenant love of God. And even in terms of dating relationships and marriage, can I just tell you that if it doesn't look like the sacrificial love of Christ, get the heck out of there. If it doesn't start, if it doesn't start with that model, most likely it's not going to end with that model. Okay? The, the love of the world is selfish love. It's all about what makes me feel good and what I can get from a person. But the love of Christ is completely different than that. And as we behold this love more, we lose our appetite for the counterfeit love of, of, of the world. And then our, our heart is drawn to the intimacy and love that belongs and can be found and birthed and bloom only in covenant on our earthly relationships. But it has to start with our relationship with God. We can't fix our friend relationships and get that covenant, sacrificial, selfless love. We can't fix our relationship with our father and mother and get that unconditional love. Our relationship with our, with our um, dating partners, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our future spouses, we can't get that love until we behold the covenant love of Christ, until that becomes our model for love, okay? Not the sketchy version, not the cheap version, not you, children of God, because God has covenanted himself with you. Don't settle for anything less than that. What does God promise us in his covenant love, guys? He promises us two major things. His presence and his promises. Everybody say his presence. Everyone say his promises. He says, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Never will I leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Take heart because I am with you always, 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 always. In sickness and in health, for better or for worse, till death do us part. But guess what? God does not die. God does not change. And you are eternal when you know him. That means his covenant love for you will never cease. So no matter what you ever face, no matter what trial, no matter what heartache, no matter what situation you find yourself in, his covenant love gives you his presence. And I don't know if, if all of you have experienced the presence of God, but it is something that can wreck your world forever. And once you taste his presence and encounter the love found there, the life found there, you don't settle for cheap substitutes anymore. The human heart, Bora, when she was leading worship, I was just crying. And she, she led a topic and she said, I feel like God wants to break off all orphan spirit and loneliness in this room. The human heart is created for intimacy. It's created for intimacy and connection with God and with people. And when we're not getting that intimacy met, that need, that desire that we were made with, when we're not getting it met in our relationship with God and in our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ in a healthy and whole way, we go looking for it everywhere. 
And so many people wonder why they have problems looking at porn and they can't stop, why it's taking over their lives, why they have problem masturbating, why they have problem going from one relationship to another relationship, hooking up with people, or the other extreme with isolating themselves, not opening up their heart, not able to trust people or let them in. Why? Why? Because we're not tapping into the covenant love of God. Because we were looking in so many other places. And let me tell you guys, before I was saved, I tried many different routes, and none of it ever, 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 ever brought me to that place of security and freedom and life I found in the presence and in the love of God. And I have just scratched the surface of that love. If we meditate on the love of God every day, every second of our lives until we're 110, we will still have only scratched the surface of his love. And so if you've ever been bored with God and you think you've had enough and you've heard enough or whatever, shut up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say that to you guys. No, we have only scratched. (laughs) I need to become more pastorly. If I'm going to officiate weddings, I need to. Um, We have only scratched the surface. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, whenever I was going through a really difficult time, um, I had just moved to Korea after I graduated college. I was living in a one-room apartment in Nambu Bus Terminal, working at East Spirit. I didn't speak Korean, and I was just really lonely, and it was dark and cold in my apartment. Like, the ondol heating didn't work. And I would just, like, be huddled together, like, in the warm, one warm patch on my floor. And it's before I began to make friends at New Philly, at my church. And and I was just so lonely, relationally, but also in my relationship with God. It's the first time that I had experienced this really dry season. I would read the word, and I didn't feel like God was speaking to me at all. I would be worshiping, but I felt like I was just a machine I had no experience of God's love, and I knew all the answers, and I knew I was saved, but I just felt like, God, are you really there? I don't hear you. I don't feel you. I don't experience your love. And I was was like, okay, I can push through. I can push through. But that season extended for a long time. I wasn't able to connect to God. I wasn't able to connect with people very well, and I was really struggling. And I had hit this low, and I remember I was really cold and lonely and in the darkness one night in my number one room, apartment room and I was freezing and I just remember crying and being like God you really got to come through because I don't I don't know what to do right now like I don't know if I'm even safe I, I knew I was safe okay but then you know sometimes when you're can I okay here's a point here's a freebie you be real with God okay bring your your weaknesses bring your failures bring your insecurities bring yourself in your rawest form to God he can handle it okay Bring it to God just as you are. So I was being real with God, and I was like, I know you saved me, but I don't know if I'm really saved right now. I'm, like, really struggling. And I'm laughing because um, some of you guys who, some of you guys have had that conversation with me, you know, and you're all really dramatic and weeping. And I, I think I lost my salvation because I don't feel saved right now in this moment. And then I remember saying the same thing as you guys. No, no one be embarrassed in this room because many of you have said that. Like a number of you have. And I have too, okay? So I remember I was like, I don't know. Am I even saved, God? Like, I don't feel your presence. Like, I'm such a bad Christian right now. I don't even want to read the Bible. I tried so hard. 
I tried so hard, okay? And then um, I just got this vision, okay? I said, God, you have to come through. And I got this vision of a little boy, and he was with his mom and dad, and his parents were carrying him, and they loved him so much, just showering this little boy with their affection. And he was so happy, and he just had this look of peace and safety and contentment, like, man, his whole world was wonderful. And, and they went into the supermarket or grocery store or mall or whatever, and then they, they set him on the ground, and then they walked, like, a little, like, ten feet away, and then they were kind of hidden from him by, like, a display of clothes or something. I don't know. Anyway, the point is, they had their eye on him, and they knew exactly where he was, and nothing had changed in their regard to how they felt about him. But the, the point was not on the parents at first. It was on the little boy. And Holy Spirit was showing me in this vision that the little boy, his, his countenance changed from peace and safety and security and trust in his parents' love to realizing that his parents were gone, to being completely terrified, to then beginning to operate like an orphan. Oh, my parents abandoned me. That means I need to take care of myself. He started panicking. He started crying. And if you were to go into that little boy's heart and mind, he would have thought, I'm an orphan now. I don't feel safe. I don't feel like they're with me. I don't feel love. I don't feel my parents' presence anymore. Right? But then the picture zooms out to the parents, and to them, nothing has changed. Do you think to them they're like, yeah, orphaned our son. We're just going to leave him in that, in that aisle and go on home. No, heck no, okay? Their heart and their love and their commitment to their son did not change, no matter how freaked out the little boy was. And in that moment, God said to me, in that moment, God said, is this the Lord? Open the door. <laughs> in that moment, God said to me, Rona, right now you're like that little child. In terms of your thoughts and your perception of me, and in terms of how you feel, everything is ruined. Everything is lost. But in terms of your position in the kingdom, in terms of my covenant love for you, in terms of my commitment to you, in terms of your place in my heart, nothing has changed. That's a picture, guys, of what our relationship with God is like. You can feel up, you can feel down, you can feel here, there, wherever. You can change like shifting shadows, but God does not change. And your position in the kingdom, your position as an adopted heir, your position as his friend, it doesn't change based on how you perform or how you feel. Because he made a covenant with himself regarding you, and he cannot change or, or go against his own nature. He covenanted with you. He is the one who made the covenant. Romans 8.35 says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate you from his love? Nothing. You can't even separate yourself from the love of God. Even if you tried, even if you disowned him, he could not disown you. 
even if you turn your back on him, he will come chasing after you. Satan's main strategy of attack is to doubt the covenant love of God, is to get us to stop trusting God. The one that we can, the only thing we can ever be certain about is the love of God. The only one that we can actually trust with all certainty is God. We can trust him more than we can even trust ourselves. But that's the one thing that Satan will always get you to doubt. And it began with the fall of man. Did God really say you can't eat that fruit? I heard that if you ate that fruit, you'll become like him. He's withholding from you. Doubt the covenant love of God. Doubt, doubt God's love for you, his intent for you. You can't trust God. You can't trust his words. The enemy will always get you to try to, he will always try to get you to doubt the love of God, to not trust in him. I want you to close your eyes. We're not praying yet. I have more to say. But I want you to close your eyes. And if you've got a notebook, no one's going to read this. I want you to consider, um, I want you to consider something. And I want you to try to remember the first time that someone has ever broken a promise to you. It could be something really silly. Uh, For me, it was, I remember I really liked board games when I was little, and I would always go up to my mom and dad and be like, when, when you get home from work, will you play board game with me? You know? And every single time they said, yeah, 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 we'll play with you, we'll play with you. And then every single time they got home from work and I had already set up the entire game on the floor, and I was just sitting there, you know, waiting for them to come in, and they'd come in and be like, Rona, we're too busy next time. And for some reason, I kept believing that the next time they would go do it, you know. And every day, I would just wait there with my board game. Can I just tell you guys, I just started recently liking board games again. Like, I used to, ha- I hated them for 20-something years of my life. I didn't know why. That was the first time I remember that a promise was broken to me. And I, so I want you to just remember, it can be something really silly, even like that. When was the first time a promise was broken to you? If something comes to mind, you can write it down. If you can't remember the first time, can you remember any moment you remember someone breaking a promise, someone not fulfilling what they said they would do, someone not coming through? And as you remember these moments, and you remember how it made you feel, I feel like God really wants to begin to renew and to heal our hearts. There's a story in the Old Testament about a prophet named Hosea. And the Lord told him, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute, a whore named Gomer. She sells herself to other men, and because I have covenanted myself with Israel, my bride, my people, and they continually go after other gods and other things to satisfy them. Your covenant marriage love to Gomer is going to be an image, a sign 
of my covenant love with Israel. And Hosea took Gomer as his wife. He loved her. And she kept going back into prostitution. She didn't need to anymore. She didn't need to go after other people. She didn't need to make money. She was loved perfectly by her husband, but she kept going after prostitution. And every single time, God said, Hosea, go after your wife. Love her again. Go after her again. Love her again. Make a covenant with her. And when she breaks it, you keep it. And when she breaks it again, you keep it again. And when she breaks it again, you keep it again. And now you know just a little bit of what my heart is like for my people, Hosea. Some passages from this story says, the Lord speaking of of this woman, but also Israel and us, his children. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. And God speaks to Hosea in hope, and he says, Afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And why is God so sure that his people will return to him? Is it because of our track record of faithfulness and covenant keeping? No, it's because he's the one that made the covenant. And he's the one that's going to faithfully love us. And he's the one that's going to finish it. I want us to not only remember the times that people have broken promises to us, but I want us to remember the times, if we've ever broken promises to people, if we've ever made commitments that we didn't keep, if we've ever broken our promises to God. You know, when we experience broken promises, not only do we shy away from making commitments from that moment on, but we also become promise breakers. We also break other people's hearts. We betray other people's trust because it's what we've beheld and it's what we've come to know. Tonight, guys, it's very simple. I, the application points are trust God because you can trust him, but that's so um, conceptual. And, and I don't believe that if I tell you to trust God, you can just muster trust to God because it doesn't work like that. God's been speaking to me a lot that trust comes from a combination of two things. One of those things is faith. And faith comes from a personal encounter with Jesus. When you have personally encountered this love that I talked to you about, this crazy love that changes you, this covenantal love in the presence of God, when you have that encounter, it inspires faith in you. Faith comes from a personal encounter with Jesus. Trust comes from a combination of faith and hope. And hope comes 
from a confidence that God is going to keep his promises to you. We can't force ourselves to have hope. We can't make ourselves hope. It doesn't just come from ourselves and our own effort. We actually have to ask God to give us more.